Good morning. That sounds loud enough, doesn't it? Uh, can I just check? Have we got some slides somewhere? Brilliant. Uh, oh, there you go. It all works. Excellent. There's plenty of time for it to stop working. So, <laughs> um, so this morning I'm going to carry on from the book of Galatians, uh, and I've got a rather cheesy title: Faith Against the Law. We're talking about uh, uh, chapter two. And we're really talking this morning about this idea of truth. Um, I'm, uh, I'm quite challenged at the moment when I listen to the news about this whole idea of truth. When I hear words like alternative facts, I struggle a bit. Um, you know, we, and when we have, uh, we have the kind of idea that actually as a politician you don't really need to tell the truth. It almost became accepted a couple of weeks ago that it's actually okay. It's okay, you don't need to say things that are, that are true. Um, and of course, what we want to know as people is there's something about us, we actually need to know what is truth. There's something fundamental about that, and that's what we're going to share on this morning. There's, there's a bit of a history lesson in there, which is we're going to look at Galatians, we need to explain a bit of that. Um, uh, but just a bit of an intro, I was reading... Sunday uh, uh, magazine, Sunday magazine, um, a couple of weeks ago, and there was an article about Elton John. Some of you might remember him. Some of you might deny you ever heard his music. Um, it was in our house. My sister was a bit of a fan. Uh, they've made a film about his life called Rocket Man, and they were interviewing him, and he had a colourful life, that's to put it mildly. Um, uh, he basically said he, um, in the 1970s, uh, he was renowned in Los Angeles for the amount of drugs he took, and that was pretty spectacular at the time, to actually take more than anyone else. He was a mess, basically. But he, he was being asked about this, this film about his life, and, and you know, what, what's, what did he think of it? And right at the end of the article, the interviewer said, he said, well, um, but is it all true? And he said, he said, no, it's not all true, but it is the truth. It's not all true, but it is the truth. And it kind of made me think, um, there is a, don't take that the wrong way, you could take that too far, but there is something about us that when we think about doctrine and things like that, we get so deep into what is true, sometimes we lose what the truth is. We go so far into the detail about needing to know the minutiae of what's happening that we lose the really big picture. And it's possible when we look at Galatians, and I'll explain that, there are some things we just don't know what actually happened. But that doesn't take away from us the fact that we know what the truth is. And that's what we're going to talk through this, this morning. Um, if you like three points, you can have justification by faith, not adding to the law, and, and not being separate. There are your three points. I prefer the kind of Southern American kind of view, which is you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Those are my three points, okay, this morning. Won't be any more jokes after that. Uh, well, there might be. Um, first of all, I want to read from Galatians 2, verses 8 to 21. It's not going to appear on the screen. If you've got a Bible, follow it. Um, if you haven't, just listen. It's quite a long chapter. Uh, it's not a chapter. It's quite a long passage, but this quite... It links together. I'm reading from verse 8. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also in work 
at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to him in the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his, hypocr in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the, with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves to be also among the sinners, doesn't it mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen. Long passage, um, but worth reading. Let's just give you a bit of background. Um, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, there was a persecution that happened in the church where Stephen was stoned. And the church, as a result of that, the church um, came under suffering and people spread out. The Christians spread out, and some of those went to Antioch. And as they were forming in Antioch, Barnabas, who was one of the, the kind of top guys in the church, a big guy, you know, big guy in the sense of big ministry, he went there to support the church. He was the one who sold a piece of land, and he gave it away, and then others kind of imitated that, and they didn't follow it, and Ananias and Sapphira. So he was a, 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 um, a well-known man. The other thing about Barnabas is he was the one who put his arms around Paul when Paul first had his amazing experience of God on the Damascus Road. He was rejected by many of the, Jew the uh, Christians. They were frightened of him because he was persecuting the church and they wanted to know whether his conversion was genuine. Barnabas was one of those, his name was Son of Consolation. He put his arms around Paul sort of metaphorically in picture and said, Stay with me, I'll look after you. And, um, and interestingly enough, so Barnabas has gone to Antioch, he's been there, he's ministering, and then he goes and gets Paul. Says, Paul, come on, you come with me. So the lead person at Antioch originally was actually Barnabas, and he, he says, Paul, you come with me, 
and they, they formed the church there. And at the time they're there, there's a prophet whose name is called Agabus. And Agabus came and he said, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. Um, and we know that at that time, uh, the churches were gathering money together to support the church in Jerusalem. This is all background, but it sort of comes out in these few verses that we've seen. So the really interesting thing here is Paul is writing to the Galatians, but actually what he's doing here, he's telling a story to make a point to the Galatians. He's telling them about something that's happened elsewhere. He's, he's writing to people in Galatia, but he's talking about what happened in Antioch. He's, um, he's using it to illustrate a point because later on in the book of Galatians he needs to hammer that point home but he's, he's using this, this story, what we're talking about here is Paul illustrating to the Galatians something that's happened in Antioch so he can make his points clearer later on in the, uh, uh, in the book of Galatians. And we know, um, as Sean mentioned last week, that God is at work. Peter, who's also referred to as Cephas in the NIV, he was sent to the circumcised, that just means the Jews. Paul has gone to the, uh, to the Galatians. And we know that when the, uh, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they sort of blessed Paul and they said, you know, we're offering to you the right hand of fellowship. I think that means... We're with you, brother. Go, you go to the uh, uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. We'll minister to the Jews. You go, we're right with you. But the only thing we want you to do, Paul, is remember the poor. And that was the reference to the offering that they were going to take to the, to the churches. Um, but the thing that you notice when you read this, that at that time in Antioch, the Jews and the, and the Gentile Christians... They're Christians and they're eating together. Really important point. They're eating together, Jews and Gentiles together, in the church. They're believers and they're eating together. And then we find that something has happened. Another voice has come into the church. Certain men have come from James and they influence Peter. We don't know who these certain men are. We don't know whether James sent them or whether they thought they were doing James a good service, a good term. But they rocked up into Antioch and they started... Um, thank you for looking at the screen and reminding me that I haven't moved it on. Uh, um, they, they started uh, to speak to Peter and Peter changes his behaviour. Really interesting, isn't it? What you believe affects your behavior. These men have come and they've started to, to kind of give the, the word to Peter that you should not be eating with the Gentiles. Peter is a Christian. He happens to be a Jew. He was eating together happily with the non-Jewish Gentiles. And someone's come and said, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's not right. We don't want you to do that. You, you need to separate from them. And this, this starts to spread, and because Peter is the main man, that's what happens, doesn't it? If the main man goes astray, other people follow. And then we find that Barnabas has gone as well. So Peter and Barnabas and everybody else, they've started to separate out from 
the Jews and Gentiles. They're still calling themselves Christians. And now what's, what's interesting is Paul's response. So bear in mind, what we're talking about here is we're talking about eating together, okay? We are not talking about, I don't know, we're not talking about the economy of Israel or something like that. We're, not about, we're talking about just eating together. But Paul is absolutely, he's really strong on this. It says here, when, when Peter came, I opposed him to his face. I opposed him to his face. Now, now at work, when I need to challenge someone, I might say, I might say to them, Look, I'm going to have a conversation with them. You know, that's kind of shorthand for, I kind of need to, you know, I need to tell them something. I'm going to have a conversation. Paul says, I opposed him to his face. The word he uses there is the same word that it says in James, resist the devil. It's the same word in Peter where it says, resist the devil. It's the same word that we use in Ephesians when we talk about putting on the whole armour of God and standing firm. It's the same Greek word. That's no little conversation. That is, Paul is saying, I am going to resist what you are saying in this place. I am saying no. Got it? I'm saying no. This is a big deal. And why did he do it? He said, because you stand condemned, Peter. And interestingly, that's a different word. That's a much softer word. It doesn't mean the word that, that the same sort of word about, you know, condemnation. It, it's the same word that John uses when he says, he talks about, but if our hearts condemn us, we have faith with God. It's almost a word that kind of implies conscience. What Paul is saying to Peter is, your conscience is condemning you. You know you know that you're wrong on this, Peter, don't you? In your heart of hearts, you know you're in the wrong place. And what we're going to talk about this morning is why is Paul so adamant? Why is he resisting just this simple thing so strongly? And obviously, we need to make it live today. It's no good just telling you what happened 2,000 years ago. We need to understand why it happened. And the summary then is that Paul is saying to Peter, you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. There's something in that simple act of separating out Jews and Gentiles that, that Paul is seeing is challenging the power of the gospel itself. That's why he's going for it. He says, almost in irony, saying, we who are Jews, not sinful Gentiles, know that, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. That verse underlined there, this is the heart of the book of Galatians. It's the heart of this section, it's the heart of this chapter. It is the heart of the book of Galatians. That a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. This is a passing kind of comment. He really builds this picture up because he starts off by saying, a person is not justified by the works of the law. And then he says, we are not justified by the works of the law. And then he says, no one will be justified by the works of the law. Just in case you didn't get it. He kind of repeats it three, three times. Um, <clears throat> Now, 
what Paul is doing here is he's really challenging, he's getting under the skin of something which is to do with the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. That essentially, and you can see it in the language we saw before, that for a person of a Jewish background, culturally, they think of someone who's not a Jew as being a sinner. You know, we are not sinners like the Gentiles. You can read that in the way the Pharisees spoke. There's this kind of position that you're either a, a Jew, you're in God's, you're in the right place with God, or you're a Gentile, you're a sinner, you're apart from that. And Paul is, is redefining that relationship. He's saying, it's not where you come from, it's not your hereditary, it's not about whether you're a background, whether you're from a Jewish stock or for a Gentile stock, this is new. This is about whether you belong to Jesus Christ or not. He's redefining that relationship. And what's happened is that these people that have come from Jerusalem have started to confuse that. Paul is absolutely adamant against that. Um, and he says, the law has been torn down. You know, he said, we have finished with that. And the figure, the figure of speech he uses is to say, I died to the law. Now, it doesn't literally mean he kind of shot the law with an arrow or he kind of somehow managed to kill himself. And re He didn't mean that. It's a figure of speech. I died to the law. I guess today we'd probably say, I'm so over it. You know, I'm so over the law. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm over it. He's, he's using that kind of language. I've died to it. It no longer has any relevance, any hold over me. I've finished with it. The life I live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. We haven't got time to kind of go into that. That's another thing. But Paul is saying, I've died to one thing, the law. I now live by the faith of the Son of God. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained by the law, Christ died for nothing. Um, so <clears throat> that's, that's what it meant then. Spent about uh, 15 minutes explaining it. So the, I guess the, the, the question is, what does it mean for us? Um, and I've said that, you know, it's really obvious, whilst the argument appeared to be about eating together, that is not the point of the argument. Um, there's a couple of things to also note that are relevant to us. Is Nobody was saying that they didn't need to be justified before God. Nobody was arguing about that idea. Um, and we need to just remind ourselves, what does that word mean? When Paul talks about being justified, he means that I'm vindicated, I'm declared righteous. It means I'm put in a proper relationship. And, and usually it does mean the relationship between God and, and mankind. Um, and so what Paul was saying to, the, uh, to, to those in Antioch and of course to the Galatians by extension, we can read, Paul is saying what he sets out in other places. We've all come short of what God wants. God has set standards which we haven't met. God is a God of righteousness and therefore we need an answer for the charges against us our relationship with God was broken and it now has to be restored. And Paul is saying, it is restored, absolutely restored. We have been justified by faith 
in Christ. We've been legally acquitted. If you like, the charges against us have been taken away. They have been dealt with. We're in the clear with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the great statement that Paul was making. The challenge that was coming was, is it enough? That was what's actually happening. You see, it's like everybody got that, but then there were these group of uh, people from Jerusalem and they're saying, but I don't think that's enough. I need to follow the law as well. I still need to behave as if I was a Jew. They've added to the gospel. So the question then was, is that enough? And Paul's answer is, absolutely, it is enough. The justification by faith in Jesus Christ is absolutely enough for us to stand before God with the righteousness that we receive by a gift from God. It is enough. It was enough then. And to be clear, today, it is absolutely enough today. Amen. 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 That is the heart of what he's saying. Um, can I just say, what a relief. <laughs> you know, actually thinking about that, what a relief that my justification before God is not about whether I've eaten the right things, whether I've prayed the right number of times a day, whether I have prayed in the morning. Okay, that's a good thing, don't knock it. But actually, whether I prayed or not is not the basis of my justification. Whether I've signed a form and become a member of a church is not my justification. That's important, but it's not my justification. Whether I've read the right books, whether I know my Bible, whether I have done this, whether I've done that, what a relief, a genuine relief, that I am not justified in the sight of God by any of those things. So the great thing is, if you have never heard this before, you've never ever heard it, you've never done anything in the church, you've never read anything, you've never prayed, you've done any of those things, you can walk out of this room justified by God because you've received by faith that Jesus Christ died for you. Isn't that amazing? And part of the challenge is, that's true for you and for me. If you've been coming here for 30 years, 50 years, I don't know, 10 years, 5 years, it's still the same. You still walk out of here justified in exactly the same way as the first day you came to know God. Amen. That, isn't it, isn't it a relief? Um, but I wonder, you know, we've heard it so many times. I wonder if we still get it. I wonder if we're still thinking the way Paul is thinking. Let me... Um, let me just pick up on this point. Paul was passionate about this. And yes, he was passionate about the gospel, but I want to dig underneath that a little bit. Because we could think, you know, Paul, you're a rabbi. You know, you're one of these religious guys. You love studying Greek words. You know, you kind of get into it, and you love this idea of justification and sanctification, and, and wow, isn't it intellectually amazing? Um, and, and you just love it, because intellectually it's satisfying. That isn't, I don't think that's why Paul was so fervent about it. It wasn't the intellectual satisfaction. There's something else going on. Um, a young man came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's good, thank you. I, I keep looking at John and he keeps looking at the screen going, Mark, when are you going to move it? And I've just moved it, John. 
Um, a young man came to Jesus and, and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Which is a great question. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No man is good but God alone. And Jesus said, go and fulfill all the commandments. And this young man said, I've done them. From my youth, I've done all these things. And then Jesus said, okay, go and sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and follow me. And the man disappeared. Now we get, let's be honest, that terrifies us because what we think God is saying is every one of us needs to give everything we've got to the poor and then we can follow Jesus. Now there are absolutely times where God is looking for us to give. He doesn't make us, but he gives us that opportunity. Generosity is part of where God is, absolutely. But just to remind you, Zacchaeus was wealthy. Jesus didn't tell him to give everything away. What's happening here is Jesus is pointing to this man's heart and he's saying, for you, wealth is where you are. That's what you really live for. You've got to let go of that. Because unless you let go of that, you can't have me as your master because you love wealth more than me. He's getting to the heart of the person. The money's kind of incidental. That doesn't mean to say stop giving. Kind of hear what I'm saying there. But um, Jesus wanted the man to know his, home, his own heart. And you know, we're, we have good days and bad days. If you like me, I've had, I felt pretty rubbish this morning. If I'm honest, I felt pretty rubbish. Just being honest. There's some days where you think you can save the world. You know, you're the answer to the whole world. And then someone scratches your car, you know, and the whole world disintegrates. And I'm exaggerating to make a point. Okay, but I'm, I'm getting at that there's something about humanity where we need God. We need God. And that's what Jesus was saying to that rich young man. You need more than just, just following a law. You need something bigger than that. I can remember as a young man reading in Matthew 5, it said, unless your righteousness is bigger than that of the Pharisees and the teachers. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I remember thinking about that, thinking not really in a clear place with God. So these guys, they spend all their time in the temple, they study the books, they do all this stuff, they give away 10% of all their herbs and stuff. What do I do? Give away 15%? What do I, you know, how does that, how can I possibly do that? And of course, what Jesus is saying is the righteousness that I want to give you is so much bigger than anything you've ever seen before. Because you cannot get there by following the law. This is what Paul, this is why Paul was so passionate. It's because there were people who were coming and they were saying to the church, I know you've got Jesus, but actually as well as Jesus, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And what they're doing is they're diluting the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're making it weaker, not stronger. They're confusing us. And the other thing that's really clear if you read the New Testament is the one thing that the law cannot do is it cannot give you a clear conscience. That's what it says in Hebrews. The law cannot, by all these offerings, doesn't give you a clear conscience. This morning, as I was as I was thinking about it, I think that's where, what God, where God is this morning. If I can put that, that doesn't sound too arrogant, but God wants us to walk out of here with a clear conscience. He wants us to walk out of here with a sense that I know that I'm justified in the sight of God. I have a clear conscience before God. Not because you've done everything, 
but because Jesus Christ died on the cross to cleanse you from your sin, to allow you to walk in his sight, to be clean in his sight. It is his gift of righteousness to you and to me. It's not what I have done, but you can have that. You can walk in that. And I was thinking about this, and keep my eye on the clock, but there's, there's something about alignment. You know that there's, um, where are we at the moment in the society? We're literally being torn apart. I'm being honest with you, as a society, our society is tearing itself apart in all sorts of different ways. We're trying as a society to kind of work out which way's up and what do we need to do. The thing I love about the gospel is that it allows me to align if you like, the intention of my heart with what, with what God wants. Let me talk in, Mark, make that easier. What I'm trying to say here is when we stop trying to please God by fulfilling laws and obligations, we can please God by doing the right thing. You know, we're free to do the right thing. Isn't that amazing? We're free to do all the stuff that in our hearts we know we should do that because it's a good thing to do. I should do that because it's a good thing. There's no law to stop me. I don't need to worry, oh, but if I, if I do that, I won't be able to pray. Or if I do that, I won't be able to offer, clean my food in the right way. I'm free to serve God. I'm free to do good things. I'm free to live. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. You know, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He set us free that I can live. Because I'm not trying against my nature to try and satisfy God in some other way. Sorry, I nearly got passionate then. I need to, I need to wind it back in again. Um, I talked about that story about uh, Elton John. The reason I said that is, you read, the, I've got this commentary. It's about, metaf- it's about this thick. Actually, it's on my iPad. But it would be about this thick, just about the book of Galatians. And it has about, I don't know, 100 pages that explains exactly, well, it doesn't explain, it tries to explain when did this argument between Paul and Peter happen? Was it before the conference in Jerusalem or was it afterwards? And, and they get to the end of it and say, um, we don't know. <laughs> That's what I mean. You know, the truth of when this happened, I can't tell the, the, the true time that it happened, I can't tell you. But I can tell you the truth about what Paul is saying. We are justified by faith. Do you, do you get my point? I can dig around and try and find this thing and that thing, but I miss the point. Let's not do that. Um, we can have a clear conscience before God. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, the goal of the commandment is love out of a pure heart, a clear conscience and a sincere faith. There's no law in that, is there? What are we trying to achieve? You know, ever been in a business meeting? You know, what are we trying to achieve here? What are we trying to achieve here? What we're trying to achieve here is... Love out of a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. Amen. How am I going to get there? I'm going to receive by faith from Jesus Christ. Do I need to add anything to it? Absolutely not. I can live in it. Let me just make um, just for us two, two very quick things before we start moving into communion. That we can learn from the people of Israel. It's really easy to read the New Testament and think, ah, oh, those, Jew- those Jewish people, why, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they really see it? Well, you know what? I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it for a long, long time. But we can learn from them. They, um, you see, they've been brought up in a culture where, for them, pleasing God was about being a Jew. 
Pleasing God was about being part of the nation of Israel. As long as I'm in Israel and I'm doing what a good Israelite should do, I'm cool with God. That's really what their, their background was, their culture was. As long as I'm doing the right things, I'm okay with God. There's no kind of direct personal relationship with God. And then the gospel comes. This radical gospel that says, forget all that, park it, leave it. You are now justified by God, by, to God, by faith, one-to-one basis, you and God right now, forever. Amazing. And they go like, huh? <laughs> but, but I feel so insecure. Do you, do you understand what I'm getting at? Suddenly they've moved from this place where I can tick the box. You know, I'm, I'm good with God because I've offered my sacrifice. I've been to the temple. I've done this. I've done this. I'm good with God. And now they're in a space where they're saying, you need to receive my spirit and you need to walk. You need to get up. I trust you. Go and walk. You know, we're like that sometimes. The freedom that we have in Christ is quite unnerving. It's much easier for us to kind of add a bit. Well, I know I'm a good Christian because I've prayed. I know I'm a good Christian because I've done this. I know I'm a good Christian. They're all good things, but they don't change the truth. The temptation to add things, we have the same temptation to add to what God has done in our lives. And we need to recognize it and just park it. Um, And final point. Where did all this start? It started when some some Jewish missionaries came to the church and said to the Jewish people, you should be separate from the Gentiles. And we don't need to go in all the reasons why, but essentially, as I said earlier, if you are a Jew, a Gentile is a sinner. And they were saying, but if we, if we kind of meet together with, the, um, with those Gentile people, we're kind of like making Jesus as if he's a sinner. And Paul said, absolutely not. But you see, there's something among the people of, of Israel, they wanted to be separate because it's easier. And it's true, isn't it? If you live your Christian life out um, with other people who are not Christians, it's actually harder than living among you wonderful people where I can talk to Nathan and we can talk about stuff and we, you know, we basically have the same worldview. You know, I have talked to other people. I, I talked, I was in a meeting at work on Thursday night. Do you know what? I wanted to be anywhere else. I hope this is not taped because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm like the gooseberry. I'm the fish out of water. I'm completely so out of this. <laughs> I've got nothing in common. With, they were talking about Love Island. Sorry, doesn't work for me. <laughs> you know, I'm completely out of that situation. I've got nothing to say. But in a way, I've, that's part of my job. I've got to be there. I can't run away from things. But also, yes, we need to meet together. But we're not, God has called us to be in the world, but we're not of it. We're in the world, but we're in the world to make, in, in simple terms, don't make a theology out of it, but to make it better. So, I'm going to, um, I just want to bring things to, to, uh, to kind of close that, I had um, about, I think about, yeah, probably about seven or eight weeks ago, I, I ordered some um, bare root stock. This is, these are hedging plants that you get. We're putting some hedging around the outside of our, 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 our house. And when you buy bare root stock, it, particularly this time of year, some of them have got leaves on them. And I got literally the end of the end of the end. And some of these things, they were just dry. They were completely, completely bone dry. And I thought, I've got 20 plants here. They're never going to grow. They don't come with grass. They just come literally as a, as a, as a 
a plant with no earth around it and you just take them out of the plastic bag and you plant them and they were dry as a bone and and I thought I'm going to lose about I got a hundred 20 of these are going to die at least um, and I kept looking at them kept hoping for a miracle kept hoping you know first week is it going to live are they some of these going to go nope second week are they going to live nope and I'm watering them and I'm watering and I'm watering them and I'd given up I went out this morning little sh shoots of green on some of those plants not every one of them but there's there little shoots of green I'd given up I'd said these are dead dry as a bone but somehow if you like the force of life the water that's come from the skies somehow this, this, these plants have been resurrected <laughs> don't get the theology no, just don't. You know, they've come back into life there may be someone here this morning who just you're like that you're, you're kind of you're dry, absolutely dry you're so dry you don't even think that you can <laughs> come to life again um, but those shoots of green are there because you, you can't actually come to life again because it isn't your life it's the life of Jesus Christ in you. It's not my life. It's his life working in me. It's not my hard work to be a Christian. It is the grace of God. Um, so we're going to... Um, I just want to leave that with you. I'm going to pray in a minute. But as we, as we go into communion, I just want to bring you back to that simple truth that we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ and we don't need to add anything and it's that's not a theology it's it's a life it sets us free to be the people that we're called to be it cleanses our consciences it allows us to get up and go um, as we take communion the communion will be around these various tables um, and the welcome team will be there if you need any help Communion is for those who love Jesus, those who know uh, you know him. It doesn't matter if you're a member here or not. We don't require you to be that. But if you love Jesus and you know you love him, just take bread and wine. And my, what was in my heart this morning is you take that, if you like, as a recognition that this simple picture is a, is a reminder that the body of Jesus was broken, the blood of Jesus was poured out, so you can be justified by faith. And nothing else. There's nothing else on that table. Bread and wine. There's no book of law. There's no Bible. There's no, there's no textbook. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's no theology book. You can go there and do that. So I'm going to pray. And then when you're ready, there's no hurry. Just go, take communion, talk, pray together. Um, if there is anything that you really want specific prayer for, um, either find someone next to you or come talk to Sean, Nathan, myself, Pam, just don't let the moment go. Um, so if you want to respond and you need to respond, we're absolutely here for you. For those of you, the rest of you, we're going to take communion. So I'm going to pray um, and we'll just have a time of quiet. Just go when you're ready afterwards. So. Father, thank you that we're justified by grace and by the faith that we have in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that if we receive it, every one of us here this morning can walk out of here with a clear conscience, with our hearts right with God, with the love of God flowing through us. Father, we open our hearts to you now and say, come, Lord Jesus, come and 
refresh us, come and uh, renew the life forces in us, the, where we're a, we feel like we're a dry plant, come and fill us with the realisation of all that you've done for us. Father, as we, as we take the communion, we do this in remembrance of you. We do it seriously, we do it not lightly, but we come before you and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. on this table.